Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today we have a crazy nuclear revenge on a cheating husband. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, bullies thought they could get away with bullying, but I threw their stuff over the fence. I got my revenge back on a group of bullies who like to pick on my friends. This happened in high school, of course. Bullying was like a way to survive back then. I was an activist for the weak and soft students who couldn't stand up for themselves. Since I was physically bigger than my mates and also rich, I couldn't subject myself to receiving any form of mistreatment. But when anybody looked for a smaller person's problem, whether it was because of their size, looks, or simply because they were unpopular or unloved, I would not take that. That was why I jacked their lockers when they weren't looking and threw their stuff over the school fence. When bullying used to be a coping mechanism, you were either getting them back or taking what they gave without questions. I was neither or both. To the bullies, I was their bully. And to the oppressed, I was like a hero. They became my friends because of that. Backtrack, I was not in their class from the very beginning. I had some issues with my grade because I missed an entire term. My family and I were always traveling, which made me miss a whole school term. The school did not let that go, and they were not offering any extra holiday class for students to make up for their lost time. What I was told to do was actually repeat the school year when my juniors joined that class. So I was free to use the rest of that session to keep traveling until my juniors were beginning a new school year. On getting into that class, I realized that there was a group of girls. They were not the most beautiful, the richest, nor were they even school smart. Somehow, they were just super good at being mean, so all the students in the class were afraid of them. I detested them from afar. The only things they knew how to do was complain about this and that and say the rudest things, give derogatory comments and make fun of someone for something petty. They were the kind of girls who talked down on others for a torn sock, bad grades or triggering relationship issues. Not like any of them had perfect lives. Jenny, the gang leader, was remarkably basic. She had short hair, black eyes, and she was neither tall nor slim, nor thick and buxom. Her grades were average, as was every other thing about her. Kim, she was Asian, but still joined the others to mock international students and made fun of their accent, just for being different. Malia was the worst of all for being so vile. Yet every relationship she had been in ended because of her for good reasons she was always blind to. Nobody wanted to gossip like that. And finally, there was this guy who sometimes joined them to judge other students' dressing sense, Johnny. Like, hello, who made you fashion police over us? As for him, he wore the darndest of items to school, like star-framed glasses and high-collared pink jackets. So maybe he thought he was a RuPaul prodigy or some celebrity designer. The question I always had for him was where did he get his audacity from? That wraps up the Mean Girls crew. Yes, Johnny was a mean girl. Maybe people started calling him that as a way to get back at him for being unnecessarily mean. Or maybe he identified as a girl. And these girls not only showed up as evil when it was time to speak like snakes, they also showed their true colors by forcing others to give them their lunch. 
Like, our school literally sold lunch for children whose parents were too busy to package food for them? If anyone fell under that category, they were legit free to bring money to school to buy something from the cafeteria. However, these children will take money from their parents and still bully others for their own food. Now that was the most pathetic thing for me. Even Kim, whose mother worked very hard as we all knew, and still gave her lunch to take to school, joined the rest of her gang to oppress fellow students for their food. Because I'd always been untouchable by them, because I was once in a higher class, didn't mean I would let them go scot-free. Although they still tried to shame me for being in a lower class, but that move backfired on them. I was not in a lower grade because I failed a class, but because I was literally rich enough to travel when I wanted to, without my parents giving a darn if the school would give me a pass or not. Some of the girls there had not crossed a state, talk less of flying in a literal airplane over season to exquisite destinations. And even Johnny knew that the clothes I wore to school were not bought from the same cheap places students shopped for their outfits. Still, I wasn't being rude and saucy or flamboyant with my parents' wealth, making other students feel small. As a result of me standing against the bullies and against the oppression, it earned me the nickname Angie Activist. It also got me tons of real friends unlike their fake group. If Jenny fought with any one of them, that person would be the main target of all their jokes and bants for the week until they got back as friends again. What shallow lives they lived. I gradually became acquainted with the boys and girls in my new class, and I soon had a clique of my own. Some were there for protection, some were there because they agreed not to let the mean crew get to anyone anymore, so we were always on the same side. And our friendship was much more genuine because in the mutual bond we shared, we helped each other with our academics also. And of course, there is always that social kid that threw the most parties in a school year. That guy was our friend. One day I couldn't come to school because I was ill. Predictably, these girls took the opportunity to attack my friends. We didn't sit together for lunch all the time. Everyone else could mix up their seats however they liked, except those three girls and Johnny. So I heard that in my absence, Malia rudely asked a girl for her food, not to eat it, just to waste it. And get this, the girl did not bring lunch to school. She was one of the students who took the exact amount they needed for lunch to school and bought what to eat. When the girl didn't hand Malia her lunch, Malia grabbed her plate away from her and hauled the food content away through the window. Unfortunately, the teacher on duty just gave her money to replace her lunch without doing anything to Malia. I didn't know the details of the story. Maybe she didn't report that it was Malia that wasted it. Maybe it was only that she asked for some money to buy something to eat after her food was poured away. But for some reason, Malia got away with it, and after giving the girl a trauma, she went back to eat the food her mother cooked for her to bring to school. Okay, so get this. Malia had her own lunch, and the rest of her friends did too, and even if they didn't, it was so unfair to waste someone else's food, or ask in such a rude way. People actually help other students out when they're short in cash, but Malia, she was doing the opposite. Here's what she said to the girl after she refused to hand her lunch over before Malia dragged her plate. Who even wants your disgusting leftovers? Then she grabbed her plate and dusted it out of the window. I was so pissed when I heard about this a second day. The girl was legit small and usually had health problems, and that was who Malia and her crew were now picking on. I don't really know why this move just ticked me off. They had been that mean since I joined the class. It wasn't the first time they took someone's lunch money or wanted their food. Sometimes they would actually share it between themselves and eat it if the food was something they wanted. But this... 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s, and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy, and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. It's an online therapy service that, after finishing a small questionnaire, will match you with a licensed therapist, where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. This time, I could not take it anymore, and I was not going to do something that would obviously point to me. This had to be the end of everything. Other times, if they said something horrible about someone's bag, I would mention how theirs were last year's trend also. Or if they pulled someone's hair, I'd pull theirs back. Hence the surname activist that I was honored with. This time, enough was enough. I was going to do something that would stick for a long time and make it clear that it was because they were wicked. I had to brainstorm alone, since it was only going to be me who would be involved. The first reason I decided to go at it alone was because I didn't want to get another person or people in trouble. Secondly, I didn't want anyone to know it was me and then turn around and bite me in the butt. It was better to do a clean job with nobody else aware and make them think that it was the entire class unanimously making a decision to get them back for their animosity towards everyone. Someone had to let them know that what they thought was funny was actually messing with people's mental health. The plan was perfect. I typed out four notes and printed them out at home. They all said, This is for all you have done to any of us. I hope your own medicine tastes as good as when you're the one administering it. Signed, everyone in class. After printing out these sheets, I put them in my school bag and went to school. Very early that day, I reconfirmed where each of their lockers were. During PE, I snuck out of the gym. I usually did, and so did the mean ones. In fact, I don't think half the class participated in the gym, just that people found different spots to be. I went back to the lockers and jacked each of the four lockers that belonged to them. There was enough time for me to do all that I had to do because other students were in class. Finally, I took out most of the items there, as many as I could find. 
I had to hurry up and put them in a black bag I brought with me. Then I shoved the black bag into my school bag so that I wouldn't look suspicious. I made sure to neatly place the letters I printed in their lockers in a way that would be so obvious. There was an incinerator kind of dump behind our school. It didn't take a lot of hauling for someone who missed P.E. all the time. With one toss, the books went over the fence. Unluckily for them, it rained that night, and so all that was there would be lost forever. After P.E., they started crying and begging everyone for their books, stationaries, purses, and everything. Of course, no one knew where they were, but the girls thought everyone was faking it. I enjoyed the look of doom on their faces, knowing that their begging would be fruitless, simply because everyone was being honest. They had no idea what happened to all their stuff, but that ended the bullying. All effort to recover their list items proved futile, even when parents in the school principal came to beg on their behalf. It was all gone forever. Isn't it really telling though that when all of these bullies finally have a revenge taken against them, that everybody comes out of the woodworks and the school principal themselves comes out begging to help get these kids stuff back? It just sounds to me like there's a lot of enabling going on. That said, our next story is, my dad would not pay the bills, so he got disconnected from everything. Being an only child makes me very close to both my parents. We don't take our matters outside, so whatever goes on within the house, stays within the house. So I got to hear a lot about my dad from my mom, and some things about my mom from my dad. But I voluntarily took my mom's side. The reason will be clear later. However, when my dad saw this, he stopped bothering with the things he was supposed to do and had always been doing. I think the shame got him bad whenever he tried to form the man of the house around here. I always shunned him for it. In a way like disconnecting the pipe that takes water to his bathroom when he's taking a bath. Those pranks never get old. As I said before, being a single child and son of my parents, I'm close to my mom and dad. That's the way it's always been. Growing up, my parents used to come to my school together to pick me up. Other children had only one of their parents or even their driver pick them up. Mine was quite different. Even the teachers knew my parents. This is just one area where we did things differently from other families. Another area was in talking about ourselves. Because my parents came together to my school, most times, it meant that they received reports about my behavior at the same time. When I grew older, it graduated to discussions about my grades, and it never bothered me. We were an open book in my family. My mom and dad discussed changing jobs at the dining table. We discussed how I could increase my grades together. My dad would talk and give his own advice from experience. Afterwards, my mom would chip in. If I was almost going on holiday from school, I got to choose what I would do with my time right there on the table. The only things we did not discuss together were financial matters. That was until I got older. As a teenager, one strange introduction to the dining table discussions was complaining and interruptions. The little family-friendly banter became slightly heated word exchanging. Okay, that sounds pretty bad. It really wasn't that vile, but it was enough for my young teenage ears to hear the difference. My parents were still in love, obviously. I've always known them to be lovebirds. But now, frustrations were erupting in the form of spontaneous outbursts of emotions. It was always from my mom. My dad is a calm guy, always has been. He gave me that same nature. We are both cool and collected in all situations. And being caught in the crossfires, I usually waited to hear both sides. This often did not come on its own, except I pressed my dad further. For as long as I can remember, we ate dinner that way. But I think it started around when I was 15 years old. 
My mom used to look like the villain first because she was always the one ruining family time. A typical dinner conversation would go like this. We'll be discussing something like maybe an auntie coming over to stay for Christmas or a latest discovery on diet and eating healthy. Then my mom will say something like, we will eat healthier if we could afford more. Or I have nothing against Auntie Sue, only if we could afford to feed one more mouth. From my point of view, all of these were exaggerations. We were eating three square meals a day. My dad and I could have extra if we wanted. We traveled for holidays. I was going to a good school. So one day, I just decided to ask how we were suddenly a poor family from the way mom was talking. That brought up the whole argument again about my mom telling my dad that he needed to go back to school to get some more qualifications to be in the job that he was. If not, he was not going to have a good standing when layoff season came. My mom was aware of all these things because of the kind of job she did, so she put pressure on my dad. He was being overconfident in his skill. Meanwhile, younger people were entering into the industry and they would accept a lower payment because of their ages. They had more energy and they knew more than old school leavers due to advancement in technology in the market. The time finally came when my dad was eventually laid off from work. That begun the series of I told you so. I thought it was harsh of my mom to expect a grown man to go back to school. Maybe he didn't want to. I was in school and I was already dreaming of being out of it. Going back would be torture for me. However, when my dad got laid off, I was shocked as well as afraid. I was afraid of the coming days because most or all of the responsibilities would rest on my mom and she wasn't making much as a secretary. That month, many things went wrong. My dad won't pay for cable, he refused to foot any of our monthly bills. It was awful of him because he still had some cash and savings. But according to him, if he was not in employment, he had to save his own money while my mom handled the running of the house. None of this made sense to me. He was acting like his money was for his personal use now, and the only reason he was providing was because he earned more. Now that he wasn't earning anything, he was off the hook. The funny thing was that he didn't even act like he was supposed to get a new job. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. My mom told him that she could only foot the most important ones, but not cable or pay for my soccer games. So I literally had to drop out of my extracurricular activities in school. My mom and I were only getting by with the most basic things like food and cable. This got me very annoyed because when I started playing soccer, my parents were super excited. My dad especially cheered me on. He was there for every match. We talked so much about the game on our way back home. If my mother didn't attend our match, we would physically show an example of how I scored a goal or dribbled another player, or passed the ball for the winning shot. However, this time my dad was now lackadaisical about my passion. I was even asked to drop it and he was in support. Well, I couldn't let that go. I had to find a way to get the money so that I could find my transport fare to all the places we had to go, buy all my heart and equipment and everything else I needed, but my dad stayed put. 
We didn't even have cable and couldn't afford the unlimited Wi-Fi we used before. Now I had to download all I needed from school because at home we were managing the Wi-Fi. All this was going on and my dad just stayed home on weekdays. When I came back from school, he would be there. When I left, he was still there. During dinner, I try to find some hope by asking him what he's doing to find a job. My dad just shoved it away. He was really down and I could not understand why. It got to the point where I just had to get a job to support myself. And as a kid, I wanted to be able to watch TV after school. We no longer paid for Netflix subscriptions. I got a job in a yogurt shop. I wasn't even expecting to get a good pay there, but at least I could get some football gear. We were wearing a new jersey that year and the cost of it fell entirely on us students. There were other fundraising activities the football team engaged in to pay for all players to go on all trips. When I came back, I'd lost my job in the yogurt shop so I had to get another one, this time a remote job. Fast forward to after I got the second job, I started earning enough to pay for things around the house. I bought myself and my mother some new clothes, changed some old and damaged appliances in the house and paid for the subscriptions we were missing out on for the longest time. Then the strangest things happened. My dad started to demand things to be done around the house. He would demand that I use the money that I was making to pay for Netflix or cable when it had expired, and he wanted to watch something. He would force me to use my money to get his car fixed or pay for something that has absolutely nothing to do with me. My mother and I started to struggle to keep up with his entitled nature. And because he had developed such an ego, I was supposed to make it look like my father was the one paying for everything. It was so difficult. In school, I had to make it look like my father was taking care of me. Sometimes I would catch myself saying that I had to do something and then remember to say I was only going on my dad's behalf and he was the one paying. Meanwhile, at home, my father was being wasteful. He would leave lights on, forgetting that he wasn't the one paying the bills. Other times, he would wake up and eat the food my mom keeps for breakfast. Sometimes, he would even package some gifts to give to his friend's kids. What was crazy was that he would send me to the store at the ATM to get something for his friend's kid. I got so annoyed, even times when my cash was low, he would demand stuff like it was his right. So I got annoyed and started to take my revenge on him. Anything that includes wastage of money, I intentionally shortened his ration. When it comes to food, he saw that we intentionally reduced his portion and locked the fridge. Other times, I would switch off the water control while he was in the bathroom, and I was sure he had soap all over his body. We kicked him out of our Netflix plan and stopped paying for cable. Whenever he had a friend over and wanted to use something to show off, I would walk out of the house and not pick my call so that he couldn't reach me. I literally showed this man that my money is my hard work and if he wanted the same feeling, He could go and do the same thing. There were times where he would come out of the bathroom fully soaked, screaming my name at the top of his voice. Or when I disconnected the electricity in his room for a week because he wasted it and he had to use a flashlight to search for anything he needed. My dad gave up going to check the TV if, miraculously, I paid one day and it was now working. Of course, that never happened. As for my mom and I, we went out on dates as mother and son. I bought more things for her other than clothes. My dad watched and could not complain because he could not do it for his own wife. Lo and behold, after these kinds of treatment, my father started taking his job search seriously and now has interviews to go to for every single day. My revenge was all the motivation that he needed. 
I mean, this is kind of like the opposite of how you would treat your adult kid who's lazing around and not doing enough. I mean, it's kind of sad that OP has to do that as the kid, but I mean, it's the same principle being applied. That said, our next story is, husband cheats on me with his secretary, so I max out his credit card before filing for divorce. I have to say, I'm 100% responsible for all the crap I've faced and accepted in this life. It's practically my fault because of the kind of person I've been. As a kid, I grew up with a lot of siblings, and not a lot of outside friends. And the crazy thing is that all my siblings had some kind of specialty. My oldest brother Mark was book smart. He was the president of a lot of academic teams in school, including quiz, science, and debate. My immediate older sister Hannah had the voice of an angel. She was a magnificent singer. She was also president of the Glee Club. My younger sister Lily was a writer. She wrote everything from poems to stories, both short and long form. She even helped my older sister Hannah write song lyrics. I had one more brother, Jack, and he's perhaps the most talented of them all. He was an artist and at age 11, he could already make award-winning paintings. I was the middle child and the most ordinary of them all. If there's anything I'm good at, it's probably standing with the crowd and cheering them on. I was there when Mark won his first interstate quiz award, also when Hannah led the school's glee club to victory on various occasions. Lily and Jack have also been celebrated on grand stages. Our house is littered with awards and certificates of achievement, but not a single one of them is mine. My parents never made me feel left out or anything, but it's not difficult not to feel like the oddball. I understand that the majority of humanity is mundane and there's nothing special about them, and because of this fact I shouldn't feel bad. But when you live in a house that's packed with superhumans and you're the only ordinary person in it, it's difficult not to feel like there's something wrong with you. You'd think that at least if I wasn't talented I'd make up for it in looks, but that's not true. Hannah had the best looks in the family. The time I spent at home really messed with the way I viewed myself. I was never enough and it deeply ingrained in my head that everyone was better than me. It even bled into my relationships with people. I didn't expect that anyone would actually like me for who I was, and in high school I got proof. Or at least I thought I did. While all my friends were getting into relationships, I was single. It was as though no guy was interested in me. This damaged my self-esteem even further, and even though I didn't let it show, I wasn't doing okay at all. I got to college and for the first time in my life, I got a boyfriend. You'd think this will work to help my self-esteem, but no, it made it even worse because I fell for the wrong type of guy. Bruce was a toxic son of a witch that left me even worse than I was. He was a misogynistic jerk who believed that being a man made him superior to me in every sense. I couldn't do anything without his permission. It was almost as though I was a slave in his empire. Anytime I did something he didn't like or wasn't preordained by him, he'd abuse me emotionally. He told me that I was stupid and can't do anything by myself. Because I believed him, I let that crappy relationship continue for two good years. It all changed in the beginning of my third year when I met my best friend Sadie. She was a final year law student and I met her in the library when she was eating from a bag of Cheetos which she hid in her pile of books. Obviously food and drinks were not allowed in the library. And when a librarian was passing through and I warned her just in time for her to hide her snacks in her books, she thanked me, and that was how we started talking. I introduced her to Bruce a few weeks later, and he was hitting on her right in front of me. 
Sadie discusses with me a few days later about how inappropriate Bruce was with her. She opened my eyes to the fact that he didn't respect me and therefore didn't love me. It was difficult following her advice to break up with him because he was the only person that had shown any interest in me. At that point, I had decided that I was worthless and him still sticking with me after two years was like he was doing me a favor. But after much self-reflection, I decided to end the relationship. I was single for the rest of my third year and in the first semester of my final year. It was during the break leading to my second semester that I met my second boyfriend and now ex-husband. Sadie invited me to a party and at first I said no. I didn't like going out. It was easier just staying home and watching movies. But Sadie won't take no for an answer. She came over to my apartment and made me get dressed before dragging me to the party. We got there around 9 and thankfully a group of friends distracted Sadie. She walked away and I was able to hide in one of the quiet corners of the apartment. I was hoping I'd hide out there till the party's over, but someone else had the same intention to sit. He apologized and was about to walk away when I told him that the three-seater couch was big enough for the both of us to share. He said okay and took his seat. He introduced himself as Constantine. We bonded over the fact that we were facing the same problem. He was also brought to the party by some friends, even though he said he wasn't interested. Constantine was also a final year student. He was an econ major and a very lovely guy. He was very interesting and he made me laugh a lot during the party. And just when I was starting to not regret coming, his friends found him. They took him away, leaving me to myself once again. Sadie found me shortly after and we hung out for the rest of the night. When it was time to leave, I looked around the apartment, but sadly I couldn't find Constantine. I left the apartment with Sadie and while we waited downstairs for the Uber she ordered, I heard him calling out to me. He caught up and asked me for my number. I readily gave it to him and we parted ways. Throughout the next few weeks, Constantine and I texted religiously. There was always something interesting to talk about. Everything just felt so easy with him. We could talk on the phone for hours without getting bored, and we were even contented sitting on the call without saying anything. He asked me out a few weeks later and I said yes. We both graduated a few months after we started dating and he asked me to move in with him. I was so excited and the first person I told was Sadie. She was happy for me, but she wanted me to be careful. We'd been dating for less than four months at this time and she thought it was too soon, but I was too love-struck to be cautious. I moved in with him and yeah, it was great. Constantine treated me like a princess. It was a sharp contrast from Bruce and I wasn't letting him go. This was why I said yes when he asked me to marry him six months later. By this time, he already had a good job at a firm and he was working his way up the ladder. Sadie warned me again not to rush into it, but I wasn't listening to her. I didn't want to make Constantine wait too long because he might lose interest in me. I should have known that if a guy was going to lose interest in you, there's nothing you can do to stop it. We had already picked a date for the wedding, but four months later, Constantine asked that we shift it. I asked why, but he won't give me a definite answer. He said something about trying to ensure that he could give me the wedding of my dreams. When he shifted it again, he said that he had a lot of work to do and he didn't have time to be focused on the wedding. All through these excuses, I said it was fine, but I knew something was up. By now, we've been together for two years and it was starting to feel like the spark was going off. He was coming back late from work more often. His excuse was that he had just gotten promoted and he was trying to make his boss proud. 
One weekend, while I was doing laundry, I checked his pants trousers to ensure there wasn't anything in it. I found a receipt in his back pocket. It was for a dress from a store close to his office. It confused me because he didn't buy me anything. I went to check his closet for the dress, but I couldn't find it. That was when it dawned on me that he didn't buy the dress for me, but for someone else. I told Sadie about it, and she decided that we should go to the store to confirm whether he actually bought the dress for someone. When we got to the store, Sadie talked to the attendant about the dress. At first, the attendant didn't want to tell us anything, but we did our best to persuade her. Eventually, I told her about Constantine and how I wanted to confirm if he was cheating on me. She had probably had a boyfriend cheat on her too because by this time, she was ready to help. She talked to the security handling the CCTV and we went back to the day he bought the dress. That was when I saw him standing with his secretary at the counter. I knew it was his secretary because he introduced me to her one time when he took me with him to a work function. Before they left the store, they shared a kiss. I thought I knew pain before that day, but nope. Coming to the realization that your boyfriend is cheating on you is a different kind of pain. I was distraught. I didn't for once think about that possibility. But there it was, staring me in the face. Sadie was there for me all through and she helped me get through it. I was supposed to confront him and maybe scream and smash some china, but I didn't do that. He came home that night and I pretended as though everything was okay. Over the next few days, I took his three credit cards and used it to get an apartment for myself. Next, I bought things into it. I wasn't going to continue living with him after that, so I left the house. Before I did, I wrote him a letter telling him how I knew about him and his secretary. I told him not to bother looking for me, and then I dropped the maxed out credit cards on the table with the letter. He tried calling me after that, but eventually, I blocked his number. He hasn't tried to reach out after that. I mean, if he reached out to his credit card company and reported this as fraudulent, I guess for whatever reason it never made its way back to OP. I just don't think it would ever be a necessarily good or safe bet to pay for a place of living with somebody else's credit cards that you used fraudulently. It just seems like the kind of thing that has a very high probability of getting you evicted and or locked up. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.